Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We live in an age of deception. Which tells us nothing other, of course, than that which St. Maximilian Kolbe told us a hundred years ago. He said that modern times increasingly will be dominated by Satan and that his influence will be so great that not even the wisest or the strongest man will be able to resist him. Those who will be able to escape the deception, St. Maximilian said, are those who are particularly consecrated to the Immaculate Virgin, because it is to she and she alone that God has given the power to overcome the evil one with his deception. And the art, the skill, the tool that Satan uses today is that of words. No longer are we exact and precise in our language and in our use of words. And so there is increasing confusion, a misunderstanding, and worse, no knowledge of the truth. Satan is exceedingly cunning. He will not tell us an outright lie. He knows that we are intelligent enough to detect it. But what he will do is to mix a single grain a poisonous lie, tiny, undetectable, and let that lie, like yeast, do its work. And so when he approached our first parents, or rather, our first mother, because as we know, Adam was not deceived, Eve was. He said, did God really say you shouldn't eat any of the fruits of the trees in the garden? The question may appear innocent, but it is in fact a deadly trap. God has said only one. In fact, Eve responds, no, God said we, should, we can eat of all except the one, the one tree, the one that stands in the middle of the garden. The poison had already begun to work because she continues. God said we shouldn't touch it because we might die. There's a possibility of death. That's a lie. God didn't say there was a possibility. God said you will die. It is absolutely certain. 
But the serpent's question had placed a doubt. And the woman embraced that doubt and expanded it because a, one lie, a lie cannot stand on its own. It has to be supported by others. So we might die. And she took and she and the serpent immediately says, because he's got her now, she's in the trap, he says, no, you will not die. God knows. So he contradicts God. God knows when you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And of course, as we say, the rest is history. We are living in a world today where the truth is not explicitly taught and words are being used or misused so as to deceive. To give an example, we're Catholics. We have the fullness of truth. When the person died, we prayed for the repose of their soul. The Mass was offered as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins and the blessed repose of their soul. Today, not so. We celebrate in the life of the deceased. Now, let's look, use a little reason. The person who is deceased is a faithful Catholic, goes to Mass every Sunday, does good to neighbors, is prayerful, it's helpful, and so on, is well known. They've died, and we have a funeral service for the, in thanksgiving for the life of... The person is a known criminal, murderer, whatever, drug dealer, dies, comes to the church, funeral service in thanksgiving for the life of, I don't know. What does it mean in thanksgiving for the life of? How can we talk about thanksgiving for life of when we murder children in the womb? We don't give thanks for their life. In fact, we didn't even allow them to have a life in this world anyway. And so words are being misused to deceive. We even have people who claim that we believe the Pope is flawless. I don't. That's not part of Catholic doctrine. Never has been. It's impossible. Our Blessed Lady is immaculate, flawless. The Pope, not so. We believe the Pope is infallible. When, when, only when, he speaks infallibly. And in the history, the 2,000 years of history, there have been no more than five cases where the Popes have spoken infallibly. The Church, however, has taught infallibly. But the Popes on their own, we have the Immaculate Conception, we have the Assumption, into heaven. We have the declaration that women cannot be priests. We have that the Mass is a sacrifice. That's all. 
So we have to be careful of words, and more important, we have to be careful of those who use words to deceive. Now I say this because in the second reading, St. Peter's first letter, third chapter, we heard about our Lord's descent into hell, which we profess in the creed, and which today is questioned. Christ himself, innocent though he was, died once for sins. So his death is the means by which sins are forgiven. Died for the guilty. So he died for all of us, all the children of Adam. The reason he died was to, in the letter to the Hebrews, sorry, in the letter to um, St. John, he says that he might undo all that the devil had done. To lead us and to lead us to God. How did he die for our sins? In the body, he was put to death. In the spirit, he was raised to life. And in the spirit, he went to preach the spirits in prison. So today, we have those who say, we have no soul. Man is a soul. Really? Well, that's true. Scripture does say that Adam became a living soul. But to say man has no soul is as absurd as any other deceit that can come from hell. Because we can quote, if man has no soul, he cannot say, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, can we? And there are many other examples. We're told that our Lord's soul was sorrowful. In fact, our Lord himself says, my soul is sorrowful unto death. Yet we're told, man has no soul. So how do we explain all of this? Our Catholic theology is our authentic Catholic theology is very clear. It's very simple. Our faith is very simple. God created us, body from the slime of the earth, and a soul he breathed into Adam's nostrils. This soul, which comes, which is the breath of God, is what makes the body alive, as with every animal. Every animal has a soul that makes it alive. Otherwise, what is the difference between a dead dog and a living dog? There's some difference. All the physical parts are there in both cases. But something is missing, something that makes the animal alive. That is what we call the soul, the animating principle. In the case of man and women, children of Adam in our case, our soul is also a spirit. We have what is called a spiritual soul. And the difference between a human soul and an animal soul is that in addition to all of the powers that the animal soul has, we also have attached to us 
intellect, the power to know, and a will, the power to choose between good and evil. This is what makes us like the angels. Not angelic, but like the angels. Or more correctly, like God. Because the angels are more like God than we are. They are pure spirits. So, <coughs> so our Lord was put to death on the cross. He breathed out his last with a great cry. The soul, his soul, left his body. And so the body is dead. To make sure it's dead, Longinus, the centurion, pierces his heart. Blood and water flows out. He's dead. He's buried. Where is his soul? St. Peter tells us, in the spirit, in his soul, he went to preach to the spirits in prison. The spirits in prison? Really? What is a prison? Isn't it a place of temporal punishment? That's where he went, to preach to those but there are people who tell us that when you're dead, you're dead. That the dead know nothing. More correctly, they know nothing. They tell us the dead know nothing and no need to pray for the dead, which is why we no longer pray for those who have died. We don't offer the sacrifice of the mass for those who have died. We pray in thanksgiving for their life, whatever good that does. Because we're not even praying for them. Huh? We're praying to God. We are praying in that we're thanking God that we've known them. We're not praying for them. We're praying to God to thank him we have known them. They have life. They have lived. And we're finished with that. No. That's not what we believe as Catholics. We believe that when we die, we go to judgment, the particular judgment, instantly. If we die in a state of mortal sin, we go to hell, instantly, because we've rejected God. If we die in a state of grace, we go to heaven, instantly. If we die in a state of grace, but with unrepentant venial sin, or with punishment due to sins already forgiven, we go to a place of detention, a prison, which we call purgatory. And of course, those who don't know better say, oh, you don't find purgatory in the Bible, therefore it doesn't exist. Well, you don't find Trinity in the Bible either. So this place, purgatory, 
as a place of purgation, of purification. Now, it's a bit of a quantum leap to go from what we've read in St. Peter to the concept of purgatory. Because where our Lord went was not purgatory, which did not exist. Purgatory only began to exist after our Lord's resurrection and ascension into heaven. Where our Lord went is what is called limbo, or the frontier. That's what the word means, the frontier. And who were in that frontier? Well, we heard, now it is long ago, Noah still building the ark, which save a small group of eight. Imagine the whole world is, is inundated by this flood. God destroyed the whole human race except eight people to tell you how serious sin is. And when God was still waiting patiently, these spirits refused to believe. <coughs> they watched Noah building the ark. And Noah was building the ark for over a hundred years. They watched him and mocked him, ridiculed him. But when the rains began, it was a different story. Some, no doubt, repented. Others continued to mock. It will never get that bad. But in the moments of disaster, people do think of God and do repent. And so they were forgiven the mortal sins, but the punishment remained. And so they were detained. They were detained in limbo or the place of the fathers. So in this place, we would have Adam, of course, and Eve, and their descendants who were repentant. So we have Noah and Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and all these. They were all there. They couldn't go to heaven because heaven was still closed until Christ's death. And so the Lord went there to free them. He preached them. What did he preach? He did not preach redemption, but he preached that now heaven was opened. He had paid the price of their sin and they were to follow him to heaven, which we read about in the letter in the gospel according to St. Matthew, how he led them into heaven. So then, St. Peter says, that water is a type of baptism which saves you now, and which is not a washing off of physical dirt, but a pledge made to God from a good conscience. And that pledge immediately takes us back to Noah, the first reading, where we hear of the rainbow. It's a promise. So sins committed after baptism cannot be forgiven by baptism is essentially what is being said. Baptism, yes, will forgive all sins, but only once. After baptism, again, we read a letter to Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sin 
except by the second plank, which we call confession. And of course, there are those who say, you don't find confession in the Bible, therefore there's no confession, it's a constructive priest to deceive. Really? Why do we punish criminals? Because the same applies in the spiritual order. Why does God punish us? There are four reasons why we punish criminals, even with the death penalty. But of course, those who wish to deceive do not tell you what those four reasons are. They meander around the question. The four reasons we punish criminals are the same four reasons why God punishes sinners. I will not recite them in order. It is, first and foremost, that there <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. That the, the person, the criminal, the four reasons why the criminal are punished. That the person might be, but the society might be protected from the person. That the person might be reformed. That it may be a deterrent. All of these are reasonable. But in our criminal system, is it a protection from society? Might be. Ref reform of the criminal? Hardly. Deterrent? And everybody says, no, it's not a deterrent. But the fourth reason is never mentioned expiation to make up for the crime that has been committed that is the primary reason for punishment to make up for the crime and that is what's not been mentioned we're told no point having um, we shouldn't execute criminals because it's not a deterrent that's not the principal purpose we're told we can incarcerate them safely. Yes, we have to pay for their incarceration. Society is protected from them, yes, but we have to pay to keep them in prison. And so our taxes are used to support those who are enemies of the society. And we make no attempt to reform the person. Because, as we well know, people go back to prison again and again, unless they're financially well off. But expiation is never ever mentioned. And expiation means you're making up for the crime you've committed. When someone gets a just sentence, what do we say? Justice has been done. And when they don't get it, there's a grievance because justice has not been done. With the same reason, God punishes us so that we might make up for our sinful behavior 
that the church which has been injured might be restored, that we might be reformed, and that our punishment might be a deterrent to others. If we saw people falling into hell, wouldn't that be a deterrent? But that's exactly what Our Lady showed the children of Fatima. People falling into hell. And so do we hear about hell? Oh no, it'll scare us. So there is no mention of hell. Christ has died for us. He descended into hell. He rose from the dead and has ascended into heaven. Yes, we believe this. But let us remember, he went to hell to tell us that such a place does exist. And the prince of hell is loose and he roams in our world and even in our church, even in the highest places. I'm quoting for Paul VI. The tale has Satan, he said, has entered into the church even in the highest places. Let us not be deceived. Let us use words carefully. For the word of God is true. And in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.